we ask the Holy Spirit to influence us, to talk to us, to teach us. See, every one of us have an opportunity to open up, the God, open up God's word and to be able to hear from God. We all come in at different spots, at different places. We've all had different experiences this week. And God, in an amazing way, is able to, well, take his word and massage our hearts and to convict us and to strengthen us and to empower us. And we have a choice every time. Are we going to obey the Spirit's promptings? Let's pray. Father, once again, I just feel compelled that we just need to come before you and allow you to be able to just work in our hearts. Lord, uh, we ask you that even as we open up your text in John today, that you would just help us understand, teach us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in John chapter 13. Almost 30 weeks in John now, and, and we're coming to the end. And I think John has a tremendous way to bring Christ's earthly life to a climax. At this moment, Jesus was mostly lying around the table with his disciples. So many of you know, although there's all kinds of artwork on the Last Supper, and it all looks like they're, you know, um, looking at us so we could take a picture. It probably wasn't that way. The tables were probably lower, and people just kind of laid and ate and talked. And it was no different right here. But as you know, if you've been with us, Jesus had already washed the disciples' feet. They had already enjoyed the traditional Seder meal together, a meal where Jesus actually gave it a brand new meaning. But here was the troubling part. They all saw Jesus vexed, troubled. They'd seen him upset before. They'd seen him cry before. They've seen him get angry before. But this time, I'm pretty sure the disciples were bothered. The word troubled in chapter 13 on verse 21 really translates a form of the word terrasso. And it is a strong word used figuratively to speak of severe mental in spiritual turmoil. It describes the disciples' terror at seeing the Lord when he was walking on the water. The same word was used when Zacharias heard from the angel Gabriel 
when he was in the temple. The disciples fear when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, troubled, scared. And the deep anguish of Jesus when he saw the tomb of Lazarus. It's also used a little bit in the beginning of John when Jesus is looking ahead with the prospect of actually facing the cross, being crucified. So Jesus was troubled. He had a whole lot in his mind, and as we're going to see, he was thinking about Judas. He was thinking about his disciples. He was thinking about the cross. He was thinking about, maybe more than anything, the separation that was going to come between his dad and himself. Never happened before. They had all just heard Jesus tell Judas across the table, Hurry and do what you're going to do. Well, most of the disciples were, well, clueless, to be quite honest. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They were perhaps confused. Everybody but John, because John had asked Jesus what was going on. And Jesus, perhaps in a soft voice, well, he told the apostle John. But even as Jesus said these words, Judas, hurry up. You go. You go and do what you need to do. I bet those words hurt. I bet those words, he he knew he needed to say it. But sometimes when we think things, it's not as bad. When we actually verbalize. And I bet those words stung. Well, we pick up our story just as Judas then walks out the door. The guys are still around this table. Judas has been told this. He literally leaves. In our text, Jesus continues to model what completely loving people look like. So take your flat screens or your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen. But here's what the text reads today. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Lord, where are you going? You can't go with me now but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Judas just left. 
I don't know if the room got a little bit quiet, but Jesus began talking. He said, it's time. It's time to glorify, to magnify God. Therefore, the concept of glory in Jesus' vocabulary meant that the truth of his identity would be vindicated in the eyes of all of humanity. His identity as the Word in human flesh would be confirmed by His going to the cross, rising from the dead, and ascending to heaven. Jesus had been reflecting His Father perfectly for the last three years. But this last few hours would be the exclamation mark. It's time to show you literally, disciples, and all of the world who God is and how his heart beats. Another way to say it is that Christ's passion or his suffering and his resurrection will give us a perfect portrait of God. He then uses a term in this scripture, dear children. It's never used in the whole book of John. But he's giving a little bit of an idea and saying, you know, guys, it's now time. It's now time. Dear children, to us it might seem a little bit awkward. Maybe we might say, hey, hey, kids. Hey, kids. I've got something I need to share with you. My time is so short. I've told you this time was going to come, but, but it really, really is short. So he says this, listen, I am going to give you a new commandment. And he says this, love each other. Well, if you've read through the scriptures, if you've opened your Bible, you recognize that oh, this doesn't seem so new. I mean, God had given this instruction to the Israelites for hundreds of years. What, what do you mean, Jesus? I'm giving you a new commandment? Even in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's there. But this new commandment actually raises the bar. It's not only a higher standard. Let me put it this way. It's a brand new standard. Jesus is not against loving your neighbor, but sharing that kingdom love looks different. He is saying, literally, love each other as I have loved you. You, disciples, love others like I have loved you. Now, earlier in chapter 13, we saw that Jesus gave a clear picture of what love looks like when he literally washed the disciples' feet. But what we don't know, in just a few chapters, in chapter 15... Jesus is going to share once again a love that is greater than foot washing. The greatest of all acts of love is when I literally give my life up for others.
So this was a new commandment because Christ's words called his followers to love people differently. To actually love people as Jesus loved people. Let's focus on Christ's foot-washing love. We introduced this last week and what this actually meant. But I thought again in the context as we are plotting through chapter 13, this is what's right on the mind of the disciples. They haven't been told again the ultimate act of love is literally giving your life up. So Jesus again reiterates, washing others' feet is what love really is. So foot washing love, what is it? Well, first of all, it's doing something below your pay grade. It's taking on a less prestigious job. You know, every one of us, well, there's pecking orders, aren't there? Whether it's in the family or whether at the job or whether it's in the neighborhood. We all kind of know where you fit. And there's always people, or most of the time, above us. And lots of people below us, at least socially. All right? But what Jesus was saying, again, so very, very clearly, I am the king of kings. I am the creator of all. I am the one who should be worshipped and adored. But I am going to come and do a task that is so far below me. I didn't exactly say that, but we know that. It's so far below me. In fact, most Jews wouldn't even have a Jewish servant do this. I'd have a Gentile wash the feet. Not a fellow Jew. It can't get lower than this. But Jesus says this. In my kingdom, when you love others, you're going to serve people, well, in a way where you will step below your pay grade. You know, another thing you notice is this. It's really inconvenient. I mean, they were all sitting around. They were all ready to start this Seder meal. And Jesus noticed feet weren't washed. That means someone's got to go get water. Someone's got to get a towel. Someone's got to be able to at least get into your working clothes or workout clothes instead of just kind of sitting there and enjoy this meal. And hey, you know what? I'm only on the planet a few more hours. No. Serving others the way Jesus served and loved others is always inconvenient. You know, have you ever noticed on a Wednesday night when you're a WANA leader, how inconvenient 6 o'clock is at times? You know, you've got to eat early. You've got to get home faster. And all the different things that kind of come about. You've got to literally get down on your knees. You've got to look kindergartners right in the eye. They oftentimes don't respect you. It's so inconvenient. 
But every time that I serve somebody, it's always inconvenient. Because you're thinking of their needs, not yours. You know, part of foot washing love is that it's uncomfortable. It just is. At least in that tradition, you have to get on your knees. Who likes getting on their knees? You know, especially if you're a little older, especially if you're a carpenter. You're on your knees all the time. You're working around. And, and Jesus was a 33-year-old carpenter. He's down there. He's washing and wiping something, or something uncomfortable. Makes us uncomfortable. What about what happens? This self denying love is a love that actually comforts others. One of the benefits that we have as people is when we love like Jesus loves, we will bring comfort to other people. We will encourage other people. And sometimes that helps. But sometimes if we look at, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing something below my pay grade, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, you know, okay, so they feel a little bit good. But Jesus goes on, and if you kind of look at this, he literally, by washing these disciples' feet, he was washing those who didn't deserve it. All we know is that at least one person kind of put his hands up and said, no, Jesus, this is way, way beneath you. Maybe they all did, but we just got Peter's report on it. All right? But literally, not at least any kind of recording. They didn't all get up and they didn't all thank you, Jesus, for modeling for us and, and we really appreciated our feet getting clean. And you know what? There was a little bit of a stink and there was a lot of dirt and it was a little uncomfortable. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus. At least we don't get that. We serve those who don't respond well, who don't have a whole lot of gratitude. That's why I think especially children's ministries are so difficult. Because they're learning to say thank you. And if they don't, mom or dad says, say thank you, thank you. And then it's very heartfelt. And you love it so much that they said thank you for making the great meal. I don't think so. But you know what Jesus did here too? He didn't just wash feet, but he served those who would not be able to repay him. And lastly, he served those who literally would betray him. You know, I don't know if you've ever been hurt. I don't even know if you've ever been betrayed. Maybe it was way back when you are in third grade and, and your best buddy chose somebody else before they chose you to play ball. And, and you just kind of look at Jimmy and say, Jimmy, what, what's going on? We go way back. And this feeling of betrayal, this feeling of, of wow, you just really mess with me. But what about someone who really is your enemy? Someone who literally in just a few minutes is going to go and go to the guards and, and bring them to you so that you might be 
physically maimed, put up on a cross, and to die. Jesus washed Judas's feet. And my question is this, who loves like this? Who can love like this? Who serves people like this? Well, Jesus did. And we can too as we stay connected with our Savior, as we learn from Him, as we allow the Holy Spirit to be able to chip away different things in our lives, as we get different eyesight and we see people differently as part of God's amazing creation and that we get to serve or love others like Jesus did. But Jesus goes one step further. He says this, your foot-washing love for others will literally prove to the world you are my disciples. So Jesus said, not only do I want you to love like I loved you. All those things. But I want you to know this. I am not going to be around much longer. You know, back in those days, especially if you were following a rabbi or aligned with a certain rabbi, as these guys were, and they followed Jesus. So everywhere Jesus went, people would look out and say, oh, Peter, he's one of Jesus' disciples. Look, Jesus is there. But Jesus was getting really practical around this table. And he says, I'm really going to be gone soon. And when I go, nobody is going to know whose disciples you are. Except if you do this. If you foot wash love other people, you will stick out like a sore thumb and people will know that you are one of my disciples. Now today, clothing often shows our allegiance or loyalties. If you're really serious, you'll probably get a tattoo. Now I am not saying go get a tattoo. What I am saying is, is that, oh, tattoos are really permanent. And before you get one, you think long and hard, if you love Betty Sue, it better be Betty Sue like forever. Because it's going to be a problem if like Betty Sue isn't around in a little bit, if you know what I mean. But most of us, we wear a jersey or a t-shirt or a hat. Now, you don't really know how loyal you're, you are by just wearing a t-shirt, but let me explain. Over here, I have some of my clothing that I have in my closet. And if I were to wear that Cubs shirt, you would look at me and go, oh, Rick, that's a little bit odd. I, I, I think I know, like, you're not, like, a real Cubs fan, are you? Well, the truth is, that's, that's probably, you're right, I'm not a Cubs fan, but I'm from Chicago, and somebody gave me that shirt, and I'm not going to paint in it, I'm going to wear it, and if people say, hey, hey, Rick, what, what does that mean? It means, you know what, I'm from Chicago, I like when the Cubs do well, I just probably am not a fan. 
You saw this Grant baseball hat here. Or actually, it's a hat. It's not a baseball hat. Some of you may think it's Georgia, but no, it's Grant. Okay? And you say, Rick, are you a Grant fan? Well, I didn't go there, but I know kids that go there. And so I'm a fan of the kids. And actually, I know one of the baseball coaches, and I'm a big fan of one of the baseball coaches whose name is Brian. So I can buy this, and, and so it's sort of I'm a fan, but I, again, I suppose if I went there, if I played there, if, if I whatever, I'd probably be a little more of a fan. And you look over here, and there's a, a Gail Sayers. And, and some of you, that dates you if you're a Bear fan. But, but for me, wow, I, I don't know of anybody who could run like Gail. At least in my head, he was the greatest of all runners. He was. Unbelievable. The Kansas Comet. So I'll wear that, and, and people will say, oh, you're a Bears fan. Well, yeah, and I'm really more of a Gail fan. And then there's Tebow. And I've worn that here, and some have gone, oh, Rick, you're a Gators fan. I go, no, I, 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 no, I don't even know where, where that university is, to be quite honest. Except it's in Florida somewhere. What I am is a Tebow fan. Oh, a guy that just about had everything and loves God like crazy. I love wearing that jersey. I don't know him, though. I, I, I've never met him, never. And for all I know, tomorrow he could fall off the train. Yeah, you know, I, I do. But, but right now, all I know is it's pretty cool to have a guy so successful to be able to say, I love Jesus. And that's my number one priority in life. Not even football or baseball or whatever else he does. Some of you see a silver bird shirt. Oh, that's closer for me to get a tattoo there. That's 50 years. That's time. That's finances. That's watching hundreds, maybe thousands of kids make decisions. Unbelievable. When I wear that shirt, that shows a, a little bit more how passionate I am. Loving the organization or what actually happened there and all the people that have been affected. So we look at that, we look at that, and, and Jesus says this. I actually don't want you to wear a cub shirt, because you're not that jacked. And if you wear a cub shirt and you don't act very well, people are going to look around and kind of say, oh, that's how Cubs fans act, you know. Don't wear a cub shirt. And you go through these different shirts and different allegiances and different scenarios. What Jesus says is this. If you want to be known as a follower of Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. Whoa. Uh, I have a tough time loving my kids like Jesus loved others. Are you talking about my obnoxious neighbor? Yeah. What about the guy across the cubicle? Yeah. What about my Aunt Millie? Oh, yeah. 
like family, like people, like, oh, even people we like, it's really hard to love them like Jesus is asking us to love. You see, Jesus is saying, self-sacrificing, foot-washing, agape love shows that you are on my team. What he's literally saying is our world will know you are a Jesus follower because you sacrificially love others. They will not know you are a Jesus follower because you wear a cross. They will not know you are a Jesus follower because you wear a Jesus shirt, whatever a Jesus shirt is. They will not know you are a Jesus follower because of the building that you go to at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. They will not. Because those are words. Those are just words. Our world will know that you are a Jesus follower because you will treat people absolutely different than everybody in the neighborhood. Everybody who doesn't know Jesus. You will stick out. You may... I want to ask yourself a question. Do I live any differently than my neighbor? Do I talk about anything differently than my neighbor? Do I look, if people were to look at my house and my possessions, does it look anything different than the guy in the cubicle across from me? And say, oh, Rick, well, yeah, we all have the same kind of house. We all have this, you know, and you can, I'm just asking you to ask a question. Because Jesus says, not only love those who love you, but love those who don't love you. Do you know how you will stick out when you, number one, even just love those that love you? How you talk about your wife in public? How you treat your kids, how you treat a coworker, the ones you like. But what would it look like to treat a coworker with dignity? One that you really don't like, one who's kind of a scuzzball, one that kind of you just don't even like being in the same room. What would that look like? What would that say to other people? Because that's really what Jesus is talking about. When he says this is a new commandment, this is a different way of thinking completely. We all put people in categories, but no matter what, you, what category you put people in, can you wash their feet? You know, a few years back, um, I had a relationship with a Korean pastor. His English was so very, very broken, and and yet we would meet together, we would pray together. I I would hear his heart, and, and he just desired deeply to, well, reach the whole world for Jesus. He started this church, and we were able to, this, this particular church, 
um, and, and we were able to give him some room at a church that I was serving at. And, and uh, so what would happen is he began this church, and after a few months and, and so on, there was growth. It was beautiful. We continued to meet together. He says, Rick, we're too big. We need to leave this facility. It was about eight months. And he said, before I leave, though, I want to give you something. And he handed me a towel. Only the problem was it was in Korean. I mean, I struggle with English, folks. You know that. So here we have Korean on this towel. And he goes, oh, Pastor Rick, I just want you to have this. And I go, thank you. What is it? He goes, this is very important to us. And what he told me was this. He goes, everybody in our church, when they join us, I give them this towel. And I said, well, can you tell me what it says? And it says, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. And honestly, I started to cry. I said, you give this to everybody. He goes, yeah. He goes, what's going to make us different, Pastor Rick, is that we wash everybody's feet. Okay. Wash everybody's feet. I just started thinking. That might not be a bad gift for our members. That might not be a bad thing to focus on. And, and that every time we see a towel like this, we are reminded that people are inconvenient and not filled with gratitude and harsh and unloving. And you can fill it in, but they need to be loved the way Jesus loved the disciples. Wow. What does picking up the towel look like? What does it? Because we can't go through, and I could give you a list, okay, well, here's all ministries, and here's things you can do in your neighborhood, and here's things you could do at your work. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Maybe that's a question you ask yourself, not only today or tomorrow, and if you have a small group, maybe you ask in your small group. Maybe it's around the table at your family dinner today, and say, what does picking up the towel look like for us? What does that look like? Would you help me understand what picking up a towel looks like, Father? I know this, it always involves people. It always involves how you treat them. Because you're probably not so good at loving others like Jesus, there's going to be a lot of apologies. There's going to be a lot of communication. There's going to be a lot of failure. 
But as we spend time with our Lord and we understand what kind of energy he gives us and the ability to see things differently. You say, Rick, really, most of the time I pick up that towel all the time. God bless you. Really. My guess is, even as your pastor, I still struggle picking up the towel. I wish it was easier. I wish I reflected Jesus better. I do. But I know this. When I love people the way Jesus loved people, I change and people change. Jesus spent time with people, serving them, loving them, teaching them, encouraging them. And I do think when Jesus, way back in that Sermon on the Mount, when he said, seek first my kingdom. It means think of others before you think of you. That's it. And we cannot do it as a church or as families or individuals if we don't spend time with our Lord. It's impossible to do that. We can't just leave here thinking, I want to be a better person. He's got to change us. He's got to give us the energy. And it is the connection with God. That's why Jesus can model. I reflect God, Jesus says, perfectly because of my communication, because of my relationship. Now, I want you to do the same thing. But if we look at our text, the one we just got through reading, this must have been so overwhelming for the disciples. Even though they lived with him for three years. So Peter blurts out, going a completely different direction. How come this is not surprising? Uh, You said a few verses ago when we didn't have to really talk about this new commandment that you were going somewhere, Jesus. So where are you going? Where are you going, uh, Peter blurts out. Well, Jesus says, you know know what, Peter? Um, You can't come with me now. Um, But you'll get it later. Well, why not, Peter goes. I am ready to die for you. And if I were to take a poll right now, I bet most of us would say, you know what, Rick? I want to pick up that towel. I am so ready to die to myself and be able to allow people to be able to hear about who my wonderful Lord and Savior is. I bet we are. But I bet it's not going to take a couple hours for some of us not to pick up the towel. Wow. So sometimes we're really hard on Peter. Well, Peter, you, you, know, you know that following Jesus is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. The Synoptic Gospels, the rest, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all reveal how passionate Peter's boast really was. He said things like this, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away, Peter says. Even if I'm going to die with you, I'll never deny you. I am ready to both I'm ready to go both to prison and to die. And then following Peter's lead, all the rest of the disciples, the other ten, because remember, Judas was gone. 
He says, all were saying the same thing. Jesus answers truthfully and kindly, die for me. Die for me, truly. Truly, Peter, in just a few hours, you will deny that you even know me. Then if you look in John 18, which we're not going to do this morning, but if you look in John 18, it's one of the saddest, again, passages in all the Scripture, where Jesus, of of course, has already been taken away, and Peter follows off, and Peter has three opportunities to be able to identify himself with the Lord. And he fails miserably. I don't know you. I never knew him. I don't know the guy. In fact, the shirt that I'm wearing that says I'm a Jesus follower, I found it on the side of the road. And I just put it on because it looks good on me. But I'm not the guy. I am not the guy. You know, most of us are bold with our intentions and even today willing to die for Jesus. But one small action is greater than all the greater intentions. One small act of selfishness is greater than all the great intentions to always pick up the towel. We all fail. And sometimes miserably. But the good news is this, is that Jesus meets us when we fail. In fact, John has an amazing ending to his gospel. And we're going to look at it in August 5th. Yes, that's our last Sunday in the book of John. But in August 5th, it's going to be an unbelievable week. Because we are going to see how Jesus restores a broken vessel. Oh, how cool is that? Because that's who we are. You know, each week we worship. And part of our worship is opening up God's Word. The Spirit comes around us and, and teaches us and encourages us and convicts us. We faithfully encourage The folks under this roof, whether it's downstairs or right here, to get to know our Lord first before we make Him known. To get to know our Lord first before we put the Jesus t-shirt on. Now sometimes the Jesus t-shirt gets put on earlier, I get it, and that's okay. But we're here to remind each other that your lives count as soon as you walk out those doors. They really count in here too, I know that. But when you walk out those doors, your life really shouts. It doesn't whisper. In a very practical way, what is our church's reputation? Or if we make it even more practical, what is your reputation? How do you treat others? This love is not sentimental. It is self-sacrificing and others-focused. 
And on the other hand, lovelessness is the fruit of selfishness and diminishes our reflection of Christ in our world. Let's pray. Father, in some ways, I'm, I'm energized by hearing your words. And yet, in a very real way, I know often how many times I do not pick up the towel. Where my needs are more important than other people's needs, and, and my desires are more important than anyone else's. God, you've got to change that in me, and you've got to change that in us. Lord, we know it's hard to even love those who love us. But Lord, would you begin a movement? Would you give your men and women of this church the energy to learn from you and reflect you wherever we go? That we not only would pick up the towel often, but we would pick up the towel first. That's my prayer, Father, for me and for us. In Jesus' name, amen.